0: This evening we're going to be beginning what is known as the Joseph story. It is the last part of the book of Genesis and we're just going to begin it because next month we're going on to Moses. So we're not going to do more than just the first chapter, chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. But it's a very important part of the sacred scriptures and I strongly encourage everyone to read the whole thing and to pray over it. The book of Genesis the first 11 chapters take us back beyond the mists of time to the very creation of the universe and to the very earliest stories of mankind and the meaning of what it means to be human to be made in the image and likeness of God and then chapters 12 to 36 speak to us of the great patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob uh, and they tell us of enormous importance of the covenant and the way in which God was with his people and the mission of being sent forth to be the chosen people. And then chapter 37 to 50 of the book of Genesis that ends the book is the Joseph story with a little odd addition in chapter 38, a little pause, just as Joseph is being sold off into slavery in in Egypt. there's chapter 38 about Judah, uh, uh, Judah and Tamar, which sort of gives a little break to allow Joseph to get down to Egypt. And then we begin the story again to the end of the book. It is a story of divine providence, of the wisdom that is given to some of God's people, especially Joseph, that wise person who triumphed even in the court of the, of the Pharaoh. It speaks of the way in which sometimes the things that we think are worst turn out to be by God's providence, the very best and the most important things. I think Newman had it right when he said, I do not choose to see my way, to choose and see my way. It is God's will that guides us. And that comes again and again throughout the Joseph story. We see Joseph as a very, very arrogant young man, who in many ways is hardly a person to imitate, but someone we can learn from. Very often that's true in the sacred scriptures. We have people we're not called to imitate, but to learn from. We see all the dynamics that can be found in a family of sibling rivalry, of wisdom and foolishness, particularly as in King Lear, the foolishness of a parent who is too favorite, who shows such favoritism to one of his children. We see violence, betrayal, mercy, compassion. And in the course of the whole Joseph story, which we're not gonna be meditating upon this tonight, obviously, we see the transformation and the repentance that comes to people who have acted wrongly. As the brothers who threw Joseph into the pit to kill him, to sell him to slavery, They gradually by the working of divine providence come to have hearts that are changed and they begin to realize what they're called to be. They come to see the evil of their actions and they come to repentance. So in a sense it's appropriate that we read and pray the Joseph story at the beginning of this penitential season of Advent. But there's not enough time to meditate on the whole Joseph story. So this evening, just chapter 37, the very beginning. And I think I'm supposed to go until about verse 28. That's a lot. 28 verses is quite a bit for meditating. But I'm almost tempted. You might see me giving into the temptation, which Joseph didn't do in Potiphar's uh, house, giving into the temptation to scoot ahead and read the whole thing. But uh, I'll see what how that works out. I may not be able to because of time. So now let us enter into prayer as we begin the Joseph story. And I just urge everyone to continue it on your own. Uh, And your homework between before now and the next time you have a Lecture Divina is to do your own Lecture Divina on the whole Joseph story and see the wonders of God's providence and learn from that in our own lives. But today, the beginning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle in us the fire of your love. Take away from our hearts, O oh Lord, all the distractions, the things that so clutter us up with unimportant things, that we may be attentive to your wisdom, to your grace. This is wisdom, let us be attentive to God's holy word. May the sins that darken our inward light be offered up in repentance to the Lord God so that they may be forgiven and that there may be a pathway to our heart for the Lord to enter in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak Lord Your servant is listening. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a lad with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought an ill report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they only hated him the more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. The brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream and behold the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to the father, to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you?" And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, "'Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word again. So he sent him from the, from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? "'I'm seeking my brothers,' he said. "'Tell me, I beg you, where they are pasturing the flock.' And "'The man said, "'They have gone away, "'for I heard them say, "'Let us go to Dothan.' "'So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. "'They saw him afar off. "'Before he came near to them, "'they conspired against him to kill him. "'They said to one another, "'Here comes the dreamer.' Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness. But lay no hand upon him, that he might rescue him out of their hand, to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, "'What profit of it is it "'if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? "'Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, "'and let not our hand be upon him, "'for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers heeded him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the lad is gone and I, where shall I go? And then they took Joseph, they took Joseph's robe and killed the goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the long robe with sleeves and brought it to his fa- their father and said, this we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. And he recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters came, rose up to comfort him, but he returned to be, he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him to Egypt, but to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a lad with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought an ill report of them to the father. Here we see Joseph in the beginning. What a nasty little boy he is. He's betraying these brothers of his. It's a good reminder to us that the saints aren't perfect, that we start off with many different flaws. So the first thing we hear about Joseph is that he's sort of tattletaling on his, his two brothers. You can see why they began to be irritated by him and to hate him. And that's a reminder to us. We start out and we have within us always that kind of maybe nastiness, something that is, needs to be purified. And believe me, Joseph is gonna be purified. He's gonna be sold into slavery. He's gonna be in danger of death. By the time he gets to the end of it, he is wise and just, mature and holy. But he doesn't start out that way. Remember, there's a sign somewhere, be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. Maybe we can be a little more patient to the people who seem to us to be like Joseph in his earliest days, someone who is not very likable at all. Maybe we can be a little more patient and perhaps ask ourselves if we are that way ourselves. Let's ask the Lord's mercy. For the times we have judged others too harshly and for the times we ourselves have been as sneaky and nasty as Joseph at his youngest stage. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a long robe with sleeves. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This time, it's not Joseph's fault. It's the father. He loved him more than all his other children. He favored him. And that obviously led to the other brothers getting irritated. The other brothers are out there working hard, even the ones that Joseph originally was with. But the father has made for Joseph a coat with long sleeves that goes right down to his ankles and right to the ends of his arms. A coat, a long coat with long sleeves. There's a mistake in some of the early translations. They said a coat of many colors. Actually, the Hebrew doesn't speak about the colors of the coat. It's the fact that it's long and flowing, which tells you something that every priest knows when he's wearing a cassock or a, it's actually like a cassock or an owl that is very hard to walk very well or to do anything energetic uh, if you're wearing long flowing robes. But Joseph didn't want to do anything energetic. He wanted to just sort of swan around in his long robes while his brothers were out there doing the work. There's so many reasons why the brothers found him insufferable. We can see this dynamic perhaps even since original sin continues even to our time Chesterton said it's the only thing about our faith we can prove easily. We can see this in our own situations, either in families or sometimes in relationships with people. Somebody who is himself a bit insufferable, tattletaling, and then luxuriously walking around while the others are working hard. And also how parents can be foolish in splitting up their children, dividing the family, Leadership means, among other things, whether it be parental or other forms, different forms of spiritual leadership too, that you need to unite, draw together, not show favoritism. Because if you do that, you split the family. And that's not good. For a classic English treatment of that, there's nothing better than King Lear, where he divides, he begins to have favorites among his daughters. There's so much truth in this. Let us be attentive to the wisdom of the Holy Scriptures here. Am I like Joseph? Am I like the father? Am I like the brothers? Get so irritated because of this young brother of theirs? Probably irritated at their father too. Lord, forgive us and give us wisdom. Now, what could Joseph possibly do to be more irritating than he already has been? Well, he succeeds in doing more. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they only hated him the more. He said to them, hear the dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. He is the dreamer. He is the man of words. He is the one who receives the Lord of God as we often see in this Joseph and in another Joseph, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Remember how Joseph there is having these, is is, receives messages from God through dreams. This is one of the ways in which long before Freud and other people like that, we were attentive to the meaning of dreams. But here it is above all a way in which God communicates. For indeed at the end of the Joseph story, this little boy, this irritating, insufferable little brother of theirs is going to become the Viceroy of Egypt. Unbeknownst to them, they sell him into slavery and he ends up in running the country and they will have to come when they're starving. They'll have to come to get grain in Egypt, which he's so smart, so wise. He planned it so that Egypt would not be a place of starvation, but of plenty, even in the midst of a famine. So they would indeed, at the end of the Joseph story, be bowing down before him and he would be giving them food that they and their father might live. And he designed then, at the end of the Joseph story. He designed various tests for them and for their father, that they might really learn what it means to be sacrificial and to love. He had come a long way from the days of his insufferable youth. But he's also the man of dreams. He is the one who has been given a gift by God to be a man of dreams and a man of words. He has the vision. Without vision, the people perish. He is the one who will be the leader, the youngest one, just as Moses will get next, next month, we'll be meditating on Moses. Aaron is the one who is the obvious one. But it's Moses who is destined to be the leader of the people. And later on, all the different brothers are so much better and stronger than little David. But David is the one who will be the leader of his people, anointed king. And so here we see something that happens in life. Here is someone, Joseph, who has deep insight, though it's yet pretty raw, but it's deep insight He is a man of dreams and a man of words. His brothers are men of action, but they do not understand the depth of what they find in him. And so they hate him all the more. Isn't that sad? And later on, they try to kill him. There's an interesting meditation that I've I think I mentioned before by Jordan Peterson on the, at the very earliest days, Cain and Abel, how Abel's offering is holy, is accepted by the Lord and Cain's is not. You would think Cain would then say to Abel, how can I learn? Teach me how to offer a worthy offering to God. That's the logical thing to do. But instead he points out Cain kills Abel. These dynamics are at work here. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they only hated him the more. He said to them, hear the dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. At this point, he had not learned that words are silver, but silence is golden. I think someone should have tapped him on the shoulder and said, Joseph, you may have beautiful dreams. They will help you in life. Fear not, you're destined for leadership. But shut up and don't irritate your brothers. He didn't have what you might call emotional intelligence. Someone should have shipped back to him a copy of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. He had not yet learned. He learned that in due time. He learned it, but not from a book. He learned it from hard experience. So he's still a long way to go. And there we are. But now, having irritated his brothers, he irritates his mother and father too. So he kind of completes irritating the whole family. And then he dreamed another dream, which he should have kept to himself. He dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. They hate him. They're jealous of him. He's the favored one. And his father is irritated too, but his father is very astute in some ways, not in splitting his family and giving such foolish favoritism to Joseph, but his father's astute. It is Israel, the one who is the founder of the nation of the 12 tribes of Israel And it said here of him what is said of our blessed mother after she saw the wisdom of Jesus, the child Jesus in the temple. It says here, and his father kept the sayings in mind, in his heart, and it says in chapter two of Luke, and Mary kept these things in her heart. She understood there's something here That is extraordinary. And so we see wisdom growing. Even the foolish father, who perhaps should not have, maybe understands now that he was unwise to show such favoritism, he's beginning to think more deeply. And later on in the Joseph story, he will be punished by having Benjamin, his little. Baby son taken away till he himself is purified, not just the murderous brothers, but the father too needs purification. And he'll have that as Joseph, this time now at the end of the Joseph story, master of Egypt, a man of immense power. And everyone's bowing down before him. And he uses very clever ways to put pressure on his brothers and on his father to become more humble, more pure more tested in wisdom and understanding. But that's for the rest of the Joseph story, which I encourage everyone to meditate upon in the coming days. So now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. They're like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. They're going off to work. They're faithful and true. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. This is the great response that is asked of us. We find it throughout the Old Testament. We need to find it amongst ourselves. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Remember in, in the sacrifice of, uh, of Isaac? Remember that? It is the, it's what's said here at ordination. Ad sum, here I am. It's what's been said six times so far, so far in <laughs> this last few months, as uh, seminarians have stepped forward to be ordained deacons. The name is called out and they say, Here I am, present, I am here to do your will. The will of the Lord, that sense, there it is. And so Joseph is obedient to his father. And that's a good start to help him go deeper. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word again. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. and He came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, I beg you, where they are pasturing the flock the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So here we see him now. The father seems not able to understand the danger he's putting his precious little boy into. He's sending him off alone to find the brothers who hate him and are jealous of him. And clearly, Joseph is not an expert in maneuvering around. He's a sophisticated dreamer, a man of words. He's not very good at navigation. So he's wandering around. You get, get him sort of going around in circles. He's very good at uh, dreams, but trying to find his brothers is a bit too much for him. So he finds he's wandering around, but by God's providence, there's someone there who sees him and he has at least the wisdom to say, where do you know where my brothers are? And he finds his way to them. There's a lot here too, that I think is probably a bit of comedy. I hate to think of the comedy in the midst of the sacred scriptures, but I think it's there as well. Here we have Joseph just sort of bumbling around and he then finally, he stumbles upon someone who gets him going in the right direction. The good news is he finds his brother. The bad news is the brothers are about to kill him. So here he's had some good decisions. He's, you know, he found his brothers, which was the worst thing that could happen to him. Then they try to kill him. They sell him into slavery, a very bad thing. And then he rises to the top and is cast down again, and rise to the top and it's all in the hands of the Lord God. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him afar off. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. At first they were irritated at his arrogance, rubbing it in to them. And they were irritated that their father had favored him by giving a big flowing robe, which he couldn't do any work in because Joseph didn't do any work. And they're irritated even more, they were angry when he told them of his dreams. In all those things, both Israel and Joseph were to fault the fault of not seeing the effect of all this upon the brothers. But now it has grown. As this happens in life, irritation breeds jealousy, jealousy further anger. They stool over the anger, the anger gets stronger. And then they see him, the focus of their anger. And they say, we shall kill him. And we will then, they're then going to cover it up. And they do later on in the part, I probably won't get to reading at the end. They take the famous coat of long sleeve coat that Israel knows is the sign of his beloved son, dip it in some blood and send it off as proof that he's been killed by an animal. They're plotting and planning to kill their brother. Just as it is said, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. What a sad thing it is when anger and jealousy take root within a family, within a community, in the internet, in comm boxes, jealousy anger, irritation, sometimes justified. You know, there's always a reason for it. It's true Joseph was pretty insufferable and he should not have been, you know, irritating his brothers and his father should not have been singling him out with this fancy robe and everything. But to kill him? In that way to kill his dreams. But you cannot kill the dreams of Joseph because they come from God and you cannot block the path of God's providence. For the content of the dream is that in God's providence, they will all bow down before him. So they're not going to be able to do what they seek to do. But what they seek to do is murder. Let's look into our own hearts at the way in which we can see it easily enough around the world or even in our neighborhood or even in people we know. Let's seek in our own hearts to see how many times does a little seed of irritation grow to anger, maybe a dose of a little bit of jealousy thrown in and it grows a bit more if not taken care of and it can get to all kinds of Evil Starts small and gets big. Just as a mustard seed can grow to become a branch, big bush, and the good of the gospel can grow, so too can a seed of evil. Start small and grow within a family, within a country, within the church, wherever, within our own heart. Let's think about that. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand upon him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. Even in the midst of that angry group, compassion was not absent. And later we see Judah also tries to help. Two of the brothers, Reuben and later Judah, have compassion on that insufferable little brother of theirs. Do not kill him. But there's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it ill behooves the rest of us to be harsh in our judgments about one another. We're almost to the point of seeing complete hatred. And yet there is goodness here. Reuben shows the way. Let's pray for that in our world. There may be more like Reuben. This is so real. It's so true to life because it is God's holy word. And it speaks to all of us. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. They stripped him of his robe, that thing that symbolized for them everything about him that irritated and angered them, made them want to kill him. The long robe with sleeves. They knew every detail of that thing that irritated them. And so often we do as well, don't we? Of the things that symbolize what irritates us about other people. The long robe with sleeves. They stripped him of the robe, first of all. And then they took him and cast him into a pit. That's bad enough, but the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And so in the Holy Land, if you get thrown into a pit, you can't get out of it that has no food in it, nothing in it, not even any water in it, you're gonna die. So it's pretty close to killing him except that Reuben wants to come back. Then they sat down to eat. Isn't that amazing? Having just thrown their brother into a pit where he's gonna starve and to death and die of thirst. They sit down and have a nice meal. It's just incredible. It kind of, what comes to my mind is how Great evil can be done by highly sophisticated people. And by you think of, well, I think back at the time of the of Hitler and the horrible concentration camp, so you have immense evil being done. And then the guards, you know, playing Bach and having fine meals and just, you know, very sophisticated and very life goes on in the midst of incredible evil. We can do that. We can compartmentalize so that we don't see the pit. We just see the meal. And they can be as if we're in two different worlds. He's probably crying out for help to his brothers and they're having a nice meal. This is very real, the mystery of iniquity. So they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels wearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And now a second hero comes, even in the midst of this cold, crass iniquity. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers heeded him. Then Midianites traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. There's a little scrambling of the text here. The brothers see Ishmaelites, and then Midianites come, and they sell him to the Ishmaelites, it's a little confusing, but the point is people are passing by and Joseph gets sold off to Egypt, where he is going to have many other adventures, always cast down by the iniquity of people around him and by his own foolishness sometimes, but lifted up by God's grace. That's the dynamic we see in the Joseph story divine providence ruling all, even the twisted ways of the twisted human heart. We see foolishness being purified and people come to wisdom through suffering. We see all of that in the sacred scriptures. I often think of this when praying the Psalms in the divine office. The Psalms have all of this in them the good, the bad, the ugly, all kinds of things. We look into them and it's as if we're seeing the world, all the iniquity and the goodness, the badness, everything all there. And then suddenly the window we look through becomes a mirror and we look at ourselves and what we see in others so clearly, we see in ourselves. And maybe we should learn that a bit more because we're all prone to that. Probably the things that most irritate us and other people are the very things that we are most thinking about in our own hearts. That's a salutary thought for an Advent evening. But I think the time does not allow to do a meditation upon the rest of this chapter, but I suggest and recommend doing a meditation upon the rest of the Joseph story. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a lad with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought an ill report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a long robe with sleeves, And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they only hated him the more. He said to them, hear this dream, which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, go now, see to it, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word again. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, I beg you, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him afar off. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hand, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand upon him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe, with sleeves that he wore. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, "'What profit is it if we slay our brother "'and conceal his blood? "'Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, "'and let not our hand be upon him, "'for he is our brother, our own flesh.' "'And his brothers heeded him. "'Then Midianite traders passed by, "'and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit "'and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.